Chapter Five of We Were There at the Normandy Invasion by Clayton Knight. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Wayne Cook. Andre's Warning. Clinging to his uncertain perch for the first few seconds, Andre felt stunned. Could this be his own Normandy sky? He watched the flicker of moonlight here and there on the parachutes drifting down through the scudding clouds. C'est invasion, he thought. He had turned to stare across at his father's barn in the distance, wondering about the Nazi machine gunners, when the tree beside him was torn by a crashing of branches. His heart leaped into his throat. The topmost branches were entwined by a great, pale, crumpled parachute and, dangling from the shroud-lines, hung a figure that swung like a pendulum. In the meadow beyond, other dark shapes were pelting into the hayfield, their shoots collapsing around them like punctured balloons. The noise was spreading. Isolated shots and short bursts of machine-gun fire drummed, stopped, and drummed again. From the far-off German camp near Saint-Mer came the wail of a klaxon horn and there was the distant growl and whine of speeding motors. The echo of distant explosions increased. High overhead, planes whose cargo had been dropped droned away toward England. And everywhere, anti-aircraft fire was spitting even more frantically. Who were these men dangling from parachutes? If they had started the invasion, all Maquis ought to help them. Then this means me too. Andre thought. He braced his foot in the crotch of the tree, lowered the other to feel his way down. He dropped to another branch, and it snapped. Just then the moon sailed from under a cloud and touched him as brightly as a searchlight. A hoarse cry came from a few feet away. Look out, sniper in that tree! Andre saw the glint of the gun barrel swinging up toward him but a louder voice from the man dangling in the tree shouted, Hold it! Hold it, Slim! It's just a kid! I can see him! Don't shoot! Say, somebody come over here and cut me down! Andre's stiffened body relaxed and began to feel his way among the dim branches. Several men had gathered at the foot of the tree, whispering, and one of them lifted his voice angrily, What's a kid doing in the tree this time of night? Something funny here. Okay, okay, we'll find out, but get me down before this harness cuts me in two. Andre called, oh, Don't shoot me, I'm coming down, I, I want to help. He slithered more quickly now from limb to limb and jumped. Instantly a flashlight blinded him, and a drawling voice said, Well, where do you know? A little shrimp. The flashlight had been turned to the ground. As soon as his eyes had grown accustomed to it, Andre gaped at the men. Never had he seen such frightening figures. Torn uniforms, faces blackened with soot, each one bristling with every kind of small arm and grenade, topped off by helmets festooned with leafy twigs. He gasped in amazement. Are you uh, Americans? The most tattered of the men grinned. Sure, who are you expecting? Say, how come you're talking English? My sister and I learned a lot of English from Father Dupree. Andre replied, just in case. In case of what? demanded the suspicious one. To help you when you came, said Andre. But sir, shouldn't we get that man uh, up there out of the tree? It's about time, 
came from the branches nearby. Andre shinnied quickly up above the dangling trooper and disentangled the chute. A moment later the chutist was on the ground, unstrapping his tommy gun. A stocky, bristling soldier had been looking out over the highway uneasily. Now he said, "'Say, Slim, we got to get moving. We're supposed to get to the causeways above the fronted part. Give him the signal, Rizzo.' Softly then, Andre heard a little rasping cricket sound that was repeated almost at once through the meadow. More helmeted men crept up to the group, they said. "'Hi, Sarge, what now?' The stocky sergeant had been studying the darkened scene around him. Now he said, "'We're too far inland.' He looked down at Andre. "'Listen, kid, you really mean you want to help us Americans? You aren't up to no tricks?' Andre frowned. "'I've been waiting to help you for a long time. It is my country here.' The sergeant's face softened a little. "'Okay, I believe you. But listen, where's your folks?' Uh, "'My family has gone away,' Andre exclaimed. "'But uh, they'll be home soon. Uh, what do you want me to do?' "'You just tell us how far it is the nearest road across that lagoon,' Andre interrupted excitedly. First, I uh, must tell you that uh, at least six Nazis in our barn. Uh, they have machine guns trained on the road. I'll show you the way around the back wall. You could uh, catch them from behind. The sergeant stiffened. You, Slim, stay here with the kid, out of range. And both of you, keep down, he ordered. Several shapes moved quietly off into the black field. Andre looked up as the great shape of the lean, rangy fellow slouching against a tree. The soldier held his tommy gun easily. A thumb was hooked in his belt, festooned with grenades, and a wicked-looking sheath-knife was strapped to his leg. Andre cleared his throat and asked, uh, Slim, is this the invasion? The paratrooper smiled. Well, son, he drawled, it's a start, anyhow. Quite a parcel of us have been dropped from heaven, and reckon to be an awful lot more tomorrow when the gliders get in. All I know is, son... I'm a long, long way from Pecos, Texas. After that, for a moment, Andre thought the man was going to sleep. Presently he noticed the trooper's face was half turned away, and that he was listening intently. A dog barked, and Andre cried softly, That's my pachu, as the men must be coming into our farmyard. Suddenly an explosion of shots, grenades, and hoarse shouts came from the directions of the house. Got em, sighed Slim. They're good, our boys are, especially at that sneaky stuff. Better keep down there. Might be bullets flying round. I do not like flying bullets. As the racket continued, the two stretched out among the ferns. May as well rest, Slim murmured drowsily. Doubt if there's going to be much time from now on. A few moments later, there was a crackling in the hedge from a direction away from the farm. Slim shot into action like a snake. Tommy gun aimed, body tense. The faint sounds continued. After a moment, Slim called, Halt! You out there! Stay where you are! A gusty sigh came through the undergrowth, and then a voice, You from the 505th? Slim kept his gun steady and answered, Check! Who are you? The soft groan, Captain Doby. Slim stared at the man pushing toward them, and then sprang forward. You hurt, sir? He helped the officer to get to his feet and took his arm. With Andre on the other side, they helped him stagger into the shadows of a tree. We thought we'd lost you, sure, Captain, Slim said sympathetically. I broke my leg when I landed on a stone wall, I guess. 
the officer said fretfully. He stared round him and asked, What's happening? We should start toward the coast. We're much too far in. Slim nodded. I know, but Sergeant Well is cleaning out a machine gun nest in the barn yonder. He'll be back with six or seven men shortly. They must have finished over there by now, as some Nazis was in this kid's barn. Slim directed a long thumb at Andre and added, He's puny, but he's real sharp. In spite of the fact that he was evidently in great pain, the captain managed to smile at the boy. Slim had helped him to sit down, braced against the tree. Andre saw that he was watching, Slim, Andre, himself, the road, the meadow, and he was listening to the distant noises for the return of his men. Should be nearly a hundred men in those meadows right here, the captain said. We've got to get our parachuted equipment together. As soon as you can, send somebody for gear I saw drop near where I came down. One lot's caught in a tree, right across that open space. You need those bazookas quick. German tanks are likely to be coming along any minute. This kid might be able to tell us something about the Nazis around these parts, Slim said. There's a Nazi camp a few miles down the road, Andre replied eagerly, and another big one near Saint-Mère-Église, if uh, you know where that is. Captain Doby nodded and turned his head to catch the sound of a motor. That car's coming this way, fast. Andre was startled by the smooth swiftness with which Slim and his captain acted then. Thrusting his tommy gun into the captain's outstretched hand without a word, Slim detached a grenade from the cluster at his belt. He slipped into a tense, waiting position closer to the road. The captain ordered, Down flat! And Andre obeyed. The roar of the approaching car grew louder. Slim called softly over his shoulder, Now it's a staff car, and raised his arm. The explosion and the repeated crack of the tommy gun beside him shook the ground under Andre. As another grenade followed the first and took effect, Captain Doby said, That's one card that won't stop the freeing of France. Slim crossed the road and returned to report solemnly. Okay, sir. The captain nodded and then glanced quickly at one side as a voice said, Good work, Slim. Oh, it's you, Sergeant, the captain exclaimed in relief. Captain, Weller said, we're worried about you. What'd you got there? A broken leg, I think. Worse luck, Captain Doby explained angrily. If you see a medic, send him back here. But you men get going now. If we don't pick up that dropped ammunition equipment soon, we may be in for trouble. Meanwhile, have you seen any place I can use for a command post around here? You can use my father's house, Andre offered eagerly. My father, he is part of the resistance, so it is all right. The captain turned to Weller. Yes, sir. Solid stone. Handy to the road. Plenty of room. Barns. No bomb damage. The sergeant reported and added, Nobody but this kid home since we cleaned out the loft. Yes? The captain looked sharply around at the boy. How's that? Andre explained quickly. And my father and Marie should have come back by now, he finished. The captain shook his head. Not from Saint-Sauveur, they won't. Not tonight. Our men must have all the roads beyond Saint-Mail blocked off. While a couple of men watched the road, others were sent to retrieve the dropped weapons. Sergeant Weller examined the captain's injury. He found that a bone was cracked above the ankle. A shot of morphine from a first-aid kit was given Captain Doby to ease the pain. Then splints were found and the leg bound with strips of torn parachute silk. Halfway through this, Weller paused suddenly and said to Andre, 
By the way, Sutton, you better tie up that hound of yours. He doesn't seem to know Americans are his friends. By the way, he lit into my only pair of breeches. The little party moved slowly toward the Gagnon house, helping the half-crippled captain. Pale moonlight glowed on the windows and against dark walls. When André saw the front door ajar, he cried happily, "'They must have come home while I was asleep.' "'I'm afraid not,' the sergeant corrected. "'We went through the whole house, André. "'Want to know how I got your name?' Waller grinned. "'Read Marie's note about your supper on the kitchen table.' Immediately inside the house, the sergeant said crisply, "'This room okay, Captain?' I guess it's a sort of store during peacetime. I'll get you a table and something to sit on pronto. Andre had run to light candles and draw the blackout curtains. Then he dragged his mother's best velvet chair from the parlor for Captain Doby and brought cushions to prop up his leg. Captain Doby spread maps on the table before him, but paused to study the boy. Andre looked into his kind, thoughtful face and asked, uh, do you think my father and sister will be all right, sir? It would be awful, the captain nodded. Nobody will let them start out from Saint-Sauveur tonight, son. They'll be all right. But André's worry was not so easily talked away. The thud of bombs and firing inland was too continuous. He heard of wine and rushed into the kitchen to a wet, pawing welcome from Pachu. He tugged at the familiar warm fur, and when Pachu had calmed down, brought him a bowl of milk. Then, with a warning to be quiet, he changed the dog to the fireplace grate. At the front of the house he found that a strange business-like disorder was mounting. Just inside the door, bazookas, mortars, and ammunition of all sorts were being pulled from drop bundles. Bulky, helmeted soldiers were coming in from everywhere, receiving quick orders from the captain and clanking off in groups. Captain Doby sent out a messenger for a walkie-talkie to make contact with his commanding colonel. At one moment, everyone around the captain paused warily as the roar of a low-flying plane shook the walls. Sergeant Weller and Andre darted out to the doorway and stared up at the U.S. markings. As the plane sped by, a shower of paper cascaded over the town. That's one of our flying fortresses dropping leaflets, telling the Frenchies to scatter and stay off the roads, Weller shrugged. Eh, that means you too, boy, you know. For the next thirty minutes, Andre sat and watched while dirty, hot men clumped in and out on errands that made no sense to him. Some had been wounded, many hurt in the jump, were being treated by both medics and some of the village people. Slim pushed his way into the room, looking leaner and sootier than ever, all his drowsiness gone. Andre listened to his report. More troops were needed at once toward the causeways. Glider troops had landed, but the Germans were putting up a fierce fight. The Americans wanted all the reinforcements they could get rushed up fast. Captain Doby turned to Weller. Okay, Sergeant, take all of these men. It's our job to wipe out those bridgeheads. When Weller hesitated, he snapped, What are you waiting for? The sergeant blinked. And leave you here alone, sir? We've got to get those bridgeheads. Move! Captain Doby pounded on the table. Orders! Sergeant Weller turned on his heel, shouted commands to round up all the men, and left. But just outside the door, he jerked Slim aside. You stay, he ordered. I'm not going to leave the captain here alone with a broken leg. What would he do if some Nazis came along? 
You get me court-martialed yet, Sarge, Slim objected. If you don't beat me to it, stay out of sight. The sergeant barked a command, and guns and men moved away through the mud. It was nearly full daylight now. When Andre turned back into the house, he saw by the clock that it was quarter to six. What would his family say if they knew he had not been to bed at all? He wondered sleepily whether to lie down quietly in a corner. The captain was looking at his watch. Andre had taken a step toward him when the house was shaken under a dreadful blast of sound. The sound rose, and he realized it came from the sea. Under the thud of heavy shelling and bombing, objects on the walls and tables danced. The captain looked up from his watch and smiled. "'They're right on time,' he said. Puzzled, Andre asked, uh, "'Who is, monsieur?' "'This is the real invasion, son, coming in now. This is what General Eisenhower has been planning for two years. Hundreds of thousands of men, tens of thousands of tanks, bulldozers, and trucks are moving in, now, in over four thousand ships.' The Navy's shelling the coast. We just came in ahead by parachute to get ready for them. Andre found himself too excited to say anything. The captain spoke again above the din. You see why we have to clear the enemy out of those bridgeheads? To let the men landing on the beaches come through. As soon as the Navy finishes this shelling, British, Canadian, and American troops will be landing on sixty miles of beach from here to River Orne. End of chapter 5